the January 2019 edition of Bookplate New Year New Book. <laughs> Find us on the web at foreveryoungadult.com. Join a book club chapter in your area or start your own by visiting us online and clicking on the book club link at the top. Don't forget to check out our monthly themed wallpaper created by graphics goddess Mandy C, which is always featured at the top of the page. Introductions. I am Annie and I think I'm w- one of the grandmothers on the O'Donnell side. Charmaine was one of them. I'll be Charmaine. <laughs> there was one named Annie. There was one named Annie. <laughs> True. You don't have to stick to type. I know, right? <laughs> you can be Charmaine. I don't like being boxed in. <laughs> um, I'm Britt, and I am Odang, the tree. Yes. <laughs> Which, it took me like halfway through the book to realize that it was a combination of the names, and not just Odang, because it was a really big tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome, though. Yeah. I like it. Um, and I'm Amanda, and I'm the famous varietal of cherry. Jack's Tart. Jack's Tart. <laughs> That's such a great name for a cherry. All right, so this is Bookplate. We always divide the book into easily di- digestible portions, and we start with our amuse-bouche. June, Jr., Jack O'Donnell IV, is taken aback when the scion of her family's rivals returns from out of the blue. She runs smack dab into him with her teeth in a mirror maze meet cute. What follows is a star-crossed lover story carrying the weight of the curse which has intertwined both of their families for four generations. Set in a small town called Five Fingers, which I tried to look up, but I don't think it exists. It may not. Other cover take. Our significant others give us their opinions on what they think this book is about, looking at the cover. I asked Jamal, and he said it was some sort of multidimensional time travel thing. Hmm. Garrett looked at the cover, and he's like, well, there's a waterfall. So maybe she goes through a waterfall where there's a portal to different dimensions, has the adventure of a lifetime, discovering millions of versions of herself, and I'm going to assume there's some weird teenage love interest. He's good at this. I know. I was like, that's not (laughs) that far off. Kudos, Gary. And I hadn't talked about the book, like, at (laughs) all. He should become, like, a YA fortune teller. (laughs) (laughs) He's a prognosticator. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I forgot to ask Phil. And he did not pick up this one and say it looked interesting. (laughs) Okay. Garrett also, like sees more on the covers than I do. I did I not see, see that that was a waterfall. Either. It I looks was like, like Milky Way to me. <laughs> didn't you say he was a graphic design yeah, person though? That's probably why. Yeah. But I was just I was like, what waterfall? And I looked at it again. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I guess it is. Wow, he has a really good eye. I can <laughs> tell. Our appetizer for this is family breakfast omelets. Um there's a scene where June is forced to eat family breakfast with her um mother and stepdad toddy and they have two kids that she lives with so my first topic up here is family feud um and i am asking you about the believability of the setup and if you or your family has ever had a feud with somebody or a family um i mean believable is kind of well i mean because you know it's a magical realism-y kind of story like it starts out with her being like, yeah, and there's just a ghost chilling in the corner. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, but I mean. There's a ghost in this house. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't see it as like a physical form, but I have definitely encountered it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it, I think it's believable in the way that like it's a small town and everybody kind of knows everybody's business and 
you know, the same families have lived there for a long time. So these stories and rumors get like passed down and, you know, so yeah, I can, I can, I can see it as like, everybody knows like these two families have beef and to stay away from each other. And yeah. But to be expressly forbidden from interacting with someone, I just feel like, well, I mean, we know it's like a Romeo and Juliet story. Yeah. I I mean, I was expressly forbidden from interacting with some kids in our town based on their family's reputations. Really? Yeah. I mean, I lived, grew up in a small town like, oh, this family produces children that stay in high school until they're 20 and they're the drug addicts and then we don't want you hanging around them even if like, yeah. But your family hadn't had like a direct interaction with them? No, I mean, I'd be like, I was, when I was like in the sixth grade, I was friends with another little girl and I was told to stop hanging around her because her her family was no good. That sucks. Wow. I did not. (laughs) Like, yeah. I mean, as you got older, past the verge, you know, and that's what happens a lot. Like people get tracked here and there, but yeah. um, And I guess my family never had like a feud with anybody, but I would say like there was a lot of us and we were known. And it offered me some measure of protection. Like, I was a pretty big nerd in high school, but I got harassed less than other nerds because mm. I had, like, seven siblings slash cousins, like, in the school at the same time as me. In the school at the same time? Yeah. Dang. Oh, dang. Oh, dang. <laughs> and my mom was there, too. She was a teacher. So, like, <laughs> and we were, like, a pretty well-known name, I guess. Wow. I... Now that now that you say that there was a family where my family was like less inclined to let me hang out with that person, they were concerned about, especially when I as a young person was hanging out and like the only people there were her older siblings and no parents. Mm -hmm. They were concerned about that. But yeah, we just like passed, you know, separated as we got older. But the one that I know of for and this is also a small town. Okay, maybe this is something that happens in small towns like Mm -hmm. you're too close to people. My mom's dad my grandfather built this house in uh, friday harbor on San Juan island up in washington state and next door this millionaire bought the property next door he was like an oil tycoon or something um and it was you know their family estate that they were building and they were having a dispute over the property line and whether or not you could build a fence there is this concept because it's right near the water line they both like abut against the water and there was this concept back in the day that you wouldn't build a fence because everybody needed to be able to like walk along the water. So you couldn't separate the properties because mm-hmm. it's like that's not cool to do for the community, right? So this guy comes in, he wants to build a fence, and he would like put the posts in, or like during the day, or the contractors would put the posts in. And my ordinary ass grandfather would get up in the middle of the night, get on his horse, and pull out the fence posts. Oh my God. And this went on for like months. <laughs> Until the man died. <laughs> and then once he was died, they put the fence up like, oh, my God, the next week. That's crazy. Wow. <sighs> so that's the only one that I know. But like it passed on with him. Like we still don't really hang out or talk to that family. Like our family is like, oh, yeah, you don't the rich people next door. And they have multiple like group like I think they have like three kids from the main parents. And each of those kids families had a portuguese water dog so when we were there in the summer <laughs> you would know which family was there based on which dog was there <laughs> <laughs> um yeah okay so that's like yeah small town but like it wasn't something like when i was in seattle or whatever that wasn't like 
my family had beef. And I think if I had tried to do that, my parents would have been like, no, we love everyone equally or some sort of. I just remembered my dad having beef. It's it's hilarious. So I think it was probably some of my mom's students would drive by our country road and they would knock our mailbox off with a baseball bat. So it would just fall. And my dad would get really mad and he'd put it up again. It would happen again. And so then he like got um, like a stronger mailbox and they did it again. So then he dug a pit and filled it with cement and put an iron mailbox (laughs) in there and then put a cage around the mailbox. No. And then, like, we saw it nicked, like someone had tried. I'm surprised they did not break their arm if they did it outside of a moving car. Like the glitter bomb was... guy, the glitter package Yeah, <laughs> and they eventually just started spray painting it. <laughs> like, oh, wow. And he gave up after that. Oh, my God. Small town. what the mail carrier man. was thinking. <laughs> like, what's happening here? Do you have a photo? I would love to see that. No. That is hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I love it. <laughs> so, Yes. <laughs> we have decided that family food is believable. <laughs> For the main course, I have the family dune picnic and thin places. So the town of Five Fingers is home to a number of thin places. The waterfall, the hill June lives on. She even does research on them as a way to figure out how to kind of like get through the veil, essentially get to her father who's dead. And we find out that it's kind of like a heavenly afterlife place, the other side, right? I have a couple of questions. So one, do you think the whole time she knows that she's trying to like pass over? I was like, at the end, it's kind of like she has this choice of like whether or not she wants to die or live. And I was like, is she so tied to her father that she kind of like wants to die so she can be with him? She doesn't decide not to until she's like drowning at the very end of the the story. Um... Again, because I compare everything to Harry Potter. It reminded <laughs> me of in book seven when um, when Harry is at like, quote unquote, King's Cross Station and like, spoilers if you haven't read <laughs> Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, but like Voldemort has like killed him essentially, but he's killed the part of his soul that lives within Harry because there's like the dying demon baby. And then Harry is there and Dumbledore is there and um, Harry's like, well, what should I do? And Dumbledore is like, if you want to move on, you can take a, a train, you know, or whatever. It just really reminded me of that um, sort of place of the crossroads and then ending up returning to the land of the living because there's more stuff to do, I guess. I don't know. Um, I don't know if the, it's that she wanted to die. I think she just really missed her dad and was sort of not was just like hyper focused on that and like well if this is how I can see him I just really want to see him because he you know he died like suddenly like the shadow overtook him or whatever it wasn't like she didn't have time to grieve or like no one was coming or anything like that so I think it was just more desperation to see him rather than like thinking about what she would be giving up I thought it was interesting because even after she decides that she hasn't known him, that he's not the person that she knows. She still wants t- to see him again. She's still so attached. But I like that you brought up the crossroads. I was not thinking of this as a crossroads, but that makes more sense to me. But they don't describe the places as a crossroads, right? Because I think for most people, it's not. Most For most people, you know, that's... They're dead, and then they go there. But, like, I don't know. Maybe it comes back to the 
chosen one type narrative mm. right because like if harry had like gotten on the train and like just been like all right that's it like i don't know peace out bitches <laughs> <laughs> like yeah he could do that but you know that there's more to his story like that there's still like unfinished business and stuff for him to do i don't know so i looked up thin places because i wanted to see it sounded like they were real i had never heard the term before um and there is a website called thinplaces.net which i have <laughs> which has like some lovely pictures of <laughs> looks like ireland or scotland some celtic rainbows sacred places in ireland what it says on there is that it's a place where you can feel the presence of mysterious power it's different than a thin moment which can happen anywhere which they were saying like when someone dies or when your loved one comes back or a birth of a child, but a thin place is specifically like where the veil is mm-hmm. thin. And I was wondering if either of you have ever felt you've been to a thin place. Mm. No, no. I think I've had thin moments, but I don't think I've ever been to a specific thin place. I've definitely felt like when I was in a certain place, like it was momentous, but I'm not sure if that was just because it was travel and I was somewhere else and the experience itself was just like giving me that little like glorifying sheen or if it was the actually a thin place. I find like when I travel like kind of the opposite everywhere it looks so ordinary to me Mm. and it's really disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) The first time I remember I left the country I went to England I'm like oh there's like roads and street signs and I knew those things would be there but then I'm like it doesn't feel magical it just feels like a place. Mm books feel like the thin place to me I guess like my own fantasies feel like the thin place but uh I've never actually experienced that in the world I love that books feel like the thin place (laughs) (laughs) okay cool did you want to say anything else about that the story Amanda you didn't like it did you I didn't get far enough to say that I don't like it I got (sighs) until like I think ferris wheel like after the ferris wheel and there was like one chapter after that i just wasn't feeling it and i'm tired and <laughs> it's been a long holiday season and i didn't really feel like getting into another book about grief mm. we've I mean, been reading a lot of those lately yeah so many and so I, i'm not like no shade on the author or anything i'm sure she did an admirable job but i just i wasn't feeling it yeah i mean we'd read a lot of death of the loved ones we'd had the whole the party one the party that wasn't a party one she, yeah. I think she was named June too. Yeah, she was also I was like, do they do this on purpose? Ju- Juniper. Juniper Lemon. Juniper yeah. Lemon. Oh. But I was like, this is I was like, not only do we have the Star Cross lovers, but we also have Death of a Loved One in both families. Yeah. You know, and they're like both grieving. And yeah, I also didn't like the fact that he was a twenty one year old author because like twenty, not twenty one. Oh, was he? <laughs> I remember finding their age difference that they had to make a little thing about how this isn't creepy and they stated it <laughs> like plain, like she there. had to be 18. <coughs> yeah, yeah, she was they, 18. They made a big 20. deal about that. Whatever, he was too young to be a published author, and it made me mad. <laughs> <laughs> so, especially because he wasn't supposed to be like a Hemingway kind of author, like a very important literary figure is kind of how they were selling him, right? Yeah, and his father was an author. Yeah. I was like, does it work like that? Do you get dynasties of writers? I don't know. But he said like at some point in the book that he had just learned to sort of imitate the styles of other writers. Yeah, he says he just copies people. Yeah. And he's not he's not actually good. He's oh, see, that would have made me more mad. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I did not continue reading. Yeah, he says he <laughs> just copies people. He's not actually good, but that June is the good writer. 
Oh, okay. And that she's the one who has something to say. I think that was the only moment of the story that I felt a spark and connection with is when she was writing the section where the dad was telling the story. Mm-hmm. It was like the story, she, a bedtime story she remembered. And I like the sort of magical realism way that wove in and out. There's so. a couple good ones. Yeah. Um, there's one at the end of the book, which is like the birth of one of the Jacks that like one of the great grandfathers tells about how on his way home, he missed the, oh, yeah. his wife went into labor and on his way home, he knew he couldn't go home empty, empty handed. So he went to the lake and he like throws something in the lake and turned all the fish gold or silver. Mm-hmm. And so he like grabbed a star out of the sky. That's right. He grabbed the star yeah. out of the sky, <laughs> throws it in the lake, turns all the fish silver. It's a very like tall tale. Yeah. yeah. Stuff. It's like charming. Yeah. yeah. But I loved the, there, there was something more charming about that. line. Like the last line of that is like, I loved you so much I turned every brown fish gold or yeah, something yeah. like that, okay. which is like a beautiful line. Mm-hmm. And yes, th- I found those more compelling than some of the other parts. I was like with it until the very end. There's there's this scene, and, and this is uh, the first time I've checked out an audiobook. So I have to admit, first time I've done an audiobook, that isn't something I've been listening to Jamal's, you know, Jamal listens to some, but I haven't listened to one in its entirety. First time I've done it. I checked it out on my phone. I was freaking out if it would work. It worked great. <laughs> Thank you, library. Um, <laughs> but what part of the thing that was bothering me is that the person who reads it, a lot of her, like, it's a, it was a woman, and she was doing male and female characters, and her female characters were distinct, but most of her male characters sounded the same. Mm. And I was like, this is hard. You have so many different dudes that yeah. you're doing in this story, and the majority of them, like, I couldn't tell the difference with some of them. And then... You know, I was getting picky about like certain voice sounds. Like I just no, I, I mean, like the narrator can really make or break it. Honestly, I always like have trouble with male narrators because I hate them imitating women's voices. Yeah, <laughs> even if they try to do it well, all I hear is like nee, 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 nee. <laughs> 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 makes you like True. blood boil. <laughs> well, she was good. I mean, th- like I said, the women's voices were great. Yeah, you know, and she did have like an alto and a soprano and like a good variety. And like the mother is French, and she did a, like a pretty decent French accent. I thought. <clears throat> But it was like I was like, which dad is this? Which Jack is this now? Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. that doesn't matter. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the very end, the like final moment when they're leaving heaven and like deciding to go back to the real world, mm-hmm. both um, June and uh, it's Saul, Saul. Right? Mm-hmm. yell into <laughs> heaven, see you, see you, and like that moment in the audiobook, I was like, no, <laughs> no, it's o- it's over for me now. <laughs> I don't know why I just like couldn't handle it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this is the peak. No. (laughs) For dessert, we have Jack's tart, which is the cherry, which I loved. I loved that. Like originally the feud is about the cherry. And then we find that it's not about the cherry. It's about the death of previous people in the family that are now the ghosts that are haunting them. Of -hmm. course. I thought that was pretty telegraphed. I don't know. Or like that was obvious to me. That wasn't like a big reveal that the ghosts were the people from the families, you know? I thought, I thought at first, so there's Feathers, right? Which is, um, I can't remember her name. The girl, the the anger girl. Or no, no, no. She's the O'Don- O'Donnell girl. Yeah. What is this? What's and then uh, there's like the... Issa, na- Melissa. Yes, yes. And Nameless, which is Abe. Abe. For some reason, I, at some point, I thought that maybe the O'Donnells saw Abe as like this, the dark ghost and 
Issa as like the friendly ghost and then the other family would see it the other way around mm. like Issa would be their dark ghost and Abe would be their friendly ghost which it wasn't Abe was like the dark ghost but I was like that could have been an interesting turn but I kind of liked the way that it played out it was very it was like not a lot of like surprise for me mm. what did you think about the whites and the memory uh workings in the book I love that they had to take off their shoes. <laughs> the koi wolves were my favorite part. Yeah, <laughs> koi wolves. <laughs> Those are real, too. I had to look them up. They are like... Coyote uh, wolf. Yeah, they're coyote wolves. Hmm. Yeah. Did you get to that part where they start doing that, Amanda? No. I remember they mentioned the term koi wolf, but I didn't remember. Like, there was no big conglomeration of koi wolves <laughs> or anything. <laughs> Consensus of koi wolves. You have to know. give them your shoes. And yeah. Then in the order to step into the memory... Yeah, uh. so the whites are the, the little floating things, the window whites. It turns out if you take your shoes off, you can step into the memory, and every time you step into the memory, you see a pile of shoes, like where the coils oh, are stashing okay. them. That's yeah. cool. Um, and then you get to experience the memory. And That's so they cool. go on, like, multiple memory journeys where they're stepping from memory to memory, or they just mm -hmm. see one and come back. Um, and that's how they're, like, unraveling the story of their family's history together. Mm -hmm. And in part of that, she you know starts writing and the teacher gives her a writing assignment and she starts like the teacher annoyed the hell out of me i know <laughs> i put that in there yeah we can talk about that but i she's talking to her friend hannah who's like the smart one and hannah's like you know memories aren't memories are very malleable mm -hmm. you know they're not always what we seem they've done tests where like people will start to remember them differently and who you who you're remembering them with and how you're remembering it changes and like how you ask the person about the memory yeah. like the way that you frame the question which i thought was cool i mean i liked that aspect of it and so my question here is like do you have an example of a memory that has become like legend in your family or like a story or that's legend in your family or is there like a particular one that you've had or that you've changed now that you look at because she was talking about you know part of it she discovers that her father is not who she thought he was like the story that he told of the marriage proposal was like this beautiful mm -hmm. thing and then we find out her mom was pregnant and was going to leave him and he begged her to stay. Yeah. And so she's like, oh, he's not the person I thought he was. Okay. You know, our memories change over time. How, I'm just curious if you have one that you've reflected on about that. Um, My dad has all these like crazy stories about like just dumb shit that he did when he was a kid. And it's, yeah. So he, and he has an older brother. And so there's one in particular that like, just yeah stupid shit they did when they were kids so there's one i guess my dad used to sleepwalk and so he told this one story about how he like was sleepwalking and tumbled down the stairs and stood up like brushed it off opened the fridge grabbed a beer and like held it to i don't know if it was my uncle or my grandma or someone and said like open open <laughs> um but like in my dad's version of the story it was a coke but in my uncle's version of the story, it was a beer. Huh. <laughs> he was like, no, nice try or whatever. Because my dad was like in high school. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. Just like stuff like that. That's cute. The one one of the stories about my grandfather is my dad grew up in Kansas and it's tornado country. And they didn't have a basement in their house. So whenever a tornado came through, they'd have to go to the church basement. So there was like one particular day where my grandfather just like didn't want to go to the church basement for whatever reason. And when they were like, you have to come with us, you have to, you know, you have to be safe. He was like, if it's my time to die, it's my time to die. 
Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's ornery. That, yeah, that says a lot about that person. I mean, that's the kind of person he was. You know, like when I think about him, that's like one of the top stories. I've had one recently that I've been rethinking. My mom always told the story about her wedding. She picked out the bridesmaid dresses, and it was like fabric that she wanted made into a pattern. And she had all of her bridesmaids had the dresses made so that it was exactly what she wanted, and. My dad's sister, my aunt Marcia, didn't wear dresses, like had refused to wear dresses since she was like 14, essentially. But my mom somehow convinced her. I don't even know how the politics went, but like she actually like did wear a dress and it's the last dress she ever wore. And so Mm -hmm. when you look at the pictures of the bridesmaids, she's wearing this dress. Now, later in life, she's come out as non-binary. And when I was thinking about that again, I was like, was that a nice thing that she did for my mom or was like that a really hard thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for her you know like my mom always like always said it in such a loving way and I was like maybe you don't realize like how bad that might have made her feel right like was it worth it for your beautiful wedding photo to force this person into something that wasn't themselves you know that's a recent one that I've been thinking about Mm -hmm. we don't have anything like that in my family like that's like differing opinions but we have like a legend was the legend of my oldest aunt who would be like 80 now she got elected homecoming queen in nashville which is a very big deal and they told them on monday and they had to go to the dance on saturday my grandmother's a seamstress and they say that she worked 20 hours a day and the dress was like about like Glinda and uh, <laughs> the Wizard of Oz levels of tool and detail and sequins and beadwork. And it was like, so it was just this sort of like Herculean task that she accomplished. Wow. Yeah. Do you have a picture of that? There's a giant portrait of my aunt in the dress, like with her beehive and stuff. Really? <laughs> Looking very regal and beautiful. And like, yeah, that my cousins all carry like little, she's, she died when she was in her forties of breast cancer and mm. my cousins are older and they all have that picture of that portrait that they carry around with them that's sweet that's a nice family legend Mm -hmm. cool thank you for sharing (laughs) all right my last thing here are drinks which is dad's flask (laughs) and i have ms de geest on this Uh. list okay so (laughs) i have a problem with i have a problem with this character one how does june not know she's a five fingers person like already when she's introduced she like doesn't this is her writing teacher okay. who turns out had a relationship with Saul when Ew. they were in high school. She's only two years older than him. She's 22. Oh, okay. So she's only four years older than June. Okay. And Which so is, she's like, how is she even whatever? You know, she's <laughs> like the new teacher at the high school. Right. And so June doesn't know she's a five fingers person, but then it turns out that she is. I'm like, wait, if the town's that small, you would have known who Wouldn't this person is. Wouldn't she have been is. like a freshman when she was like a senior? Exactly. Or like some sort of crossover, right? Mm-hmm. If your family is like this ancient in this place, you know who that is. You see them. If everybody goes to the same cafe in the wintertime, you know who this is. Mm-hmm. So I was frustrated by that. And then there's a part where she intervenes in June's life. And she, at the dance, basically like calls June's family and tells the, tells on her that she's with the Angert kid. June and Saul have been hanging out and mm-hmm. as he's been like tutoring her and she hasn't confessed to her family who he is. So yeah, she's, like, she introduced it. him as Mike. Yeah. Um, and they don't know who he is? No, no, they don't know. Because like he left 
for a while and then came back so she was banking on them like not recognizing him or oh, like okay. only knowing of him but like not really knowing what he looks like okay so like they knew the anger kid was back in town but they didn't know that it was Saul because she was like this is Mike he's tutoring me and they're like cool. all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the teacher <laughs> calls the parents at home and tells on her and she gets in trouble because it because of it and part of like that story later it's played off because like she's young she made a mistake but i had real feelings about that i yeah, really that feel like that cool. was crossing boundaries yeah it really was i mean it's different because like i teach elementary school but june is 18 so she's, she's an adult. adult and she the teacher calls her mom because she has this idea that like so june doesn't want to go to college she sees herself following in her dad's footsteps which is you know just kind of making it through school and then traveling and coming back and being like a five fingers person like running the farm or reasonable selling the cherries whatever and the teacher is just like you know your writing is really good you have so much talent you could do more than just stay in this town blah 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 and she thinks that Saul, she thinks that June wants to stay for Saul or she's like, don't let, you know, him hold you back from like doing what you could do, blah, blah, blah. And so she like <laughs> calls June's mom and stepdad and tells them that she's been hanging out with Saul. Oh, that's pretty ridiculous. It is. And it's, it's on the dance business. night. Did they play it off as her being a jealous ex? A l- she, that's what June thinks. But then she's like, no, I was just worried about you. I but mean, I'm like, you can write in Michigan. Jacqueline Carey does it every day. <laughs> Puts out great novels. <laughs> I don't know why she thinks that you have to leave to go. Right. I was really offended by like the teacher intervening in the ch- in her life. Yeah, that was too much. I thought it was super inappropriate and a bad example of the type of boundaries that teachers and students should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I teach third grade. And two years ago, I had a student who was telling everybody in class that she had a boyfriend. I called the parents because she's nine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, just so you know, <laughs> like your daughter's been saying that she has like an older boyfriend or oh, whatever. Man. And yeah. I don't know if she's doing it for attention. I don't know if there really is something going on here. But like that's your single digit age year old child. So you should know that. And like, like investigate. <laughs> yeah. And the kid was super mad at me. And I'm like, I know you are. But like, I'm not your friend. I'm your teacher. Right. But this is an 18 year old. Yeah. And. And it's the dance night. And it's the dance. Like, she calls them at night. I mean, like, how way to spike fear in somebody, right? Like, your child is going to go do something terrible. Like, (laughs) if you're that worried, call the fucking cops. You know, I don't know. Like, what's what's wrong with this picture? I don't know. It, it like, really offended me. Yeah. Also, where'd you get that? I mean, I guess parent, you know, teachers should have parental contact information. But I... I had this crazy thing happen. I don't know if I told you folks this, but last summer when I went home, was it last summer? When I went home to celebrate my wedding, like Jamal and I got married, we didn't have a ceremony. We had a reception at my parents' house in Seattle for oh, people. Oh, the who, teacher who showed up. Yes. A teacher showed up. A high school teacher who I had not spoken to mm-hmm. or interacted with for 15 years came to my fucking parents' house. I'm like, how much did you have to stalk me and cross boundaries for that to happen like that is not okay that doesn't make me feel safe that makes me feel like you're crazy and that you shouldn't have access to children or like to students you know so it was a real that was a real no-no for me 
Yeah. Mm. There's there's definitely a line. And like I said, it's different being an elementary school teacher because like. That is different. That's a, yeah. But you didn't call the parents at night, right? Like no. you called them. I sent them an email. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like during school hours. And I was just like, hey, just so you know, like this is what your kid has been saying. I don't know the truth of it, but that might be a conversation that you should have with your daughter. And it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, an 18 year old. And it's not like he. I don't know. It's not like there was evidence of, you know, we're um, mandated reporters, but it's not like there was evidence of any abuse or even that like her schoolwork was necessarily suffering because of it. And like at that age, it feels like going behind their back and like you should talk to them first and figure out what's going on with them before talking to parents. My mom was actually a high school teacher at my high school. And so it was like odd because my teachers had access to her at all times to talk about me. And um, one of my senior teachers had a problem with me because she thought I was being aggro in her class because I would argue with her. And my mom's like, send her to the principal's office. If she's doing something that needs to be sent to the principal's office, don't bother me with it. Like she's 18. (laughs) You're a senior teacher. Work it out. Yeah. You know. Good job, mom. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. I don't know. Teachers probably shouldn't. I don't think she would have called my mom if she hadn't just had access to my mom. Blaine. I don't know. So, yeah, teachers should maintain appropriate distance. I've had students, like, invite me to their birthday parties, which is sweet, but I don't go with them because it's weird. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Like, if they have a sporting event or something or if they're in a play that's, like, not, like, through school but something else, I'll, like, go to support them sometimes. But if you're going to show up at your birthday party that's <laughs> weird i don't know there's like certain things and it does depend on like your relationship with the student i'm sure but obviously like hers was not that right she just yeah hers was not that she's only four years older than her too like it's a weird yeah it's weird why do you think emily henry included that character apparently she is also a full-time writing professor I was wondering if it's maybe like Was there lack of villains maybe in the book? I don't know. I didn't read it, but where they're like That's not a good question. very many antagonistic mm. characters, so they needed some sort of tension to butt things up. The only villain is the ghost, nameless. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that was it. And like the curse, if you think of it as like a a thing. That could be possible. I thought it was interesting. I mean, one of the tropes in YA is like writing like getting the character to write the story or like people interested in writing and I thought it was I thought this story had an interesting take on it with okay we're looking at these memories we're examining these memories and the stories of our family now we're getting into writing we find that you're actually good at this I had a little bit about the craft there was like an actually like semi-in-depth discussion about the craft of writing and some of the assignments from the writing class Um, and then the teacher, the writing teacher, who's the one that intervened, and then the author also being like a writing professor herself. So I thought that was interesting, and maybe there was like some sort of personal tie there, but maybe I, I don't know. It seemed like part of it was that because she had like a fling or whatever with Saul back in the day, that she like felt like she had the right to sort of intervene on June's behalf because like she had this. I don't know. It's hard to like put my finger on it, but that like 
felt overstepping because she was like basing this on like her relationship with Saul and not, you know, like she's like, oh, well, I have this other knowledge, so I'm going to just step in and blah, blah, blah. And like 18 and 20 is not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. And you have to let people live their lives. Mm-hmm. All right. That's all I have to say. Anything else for this one? Mm-hmm. All right. Pick up a tea. Three. Pick up a tea. Better than I know myself, so I'm gonna let her do all the talking. Ooh. Ooh. I came across a place in the middle of nowhere with a big black horse and a cherry tree. Ooh.